please turn with me once again to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. As we look at this portion of God's holy and infallible word, our title for this evening's message is Nehemiah's Prayer in Anguish. Nehemiah's Prayer in Anguish. And this evening, as we're so blessed to be able to gather as the people of God, those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we're so blessed to be able to call upon the Lord in prayer. And as we call upon the Lord in prayer, we have a great and wonderful privilege to call upon the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have the ear of the King in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. What happens when we forget what a great, wonderful privilege it is to call upon the Lord in prayer? Sometimes it can become discarded. We have busy lives in our modern living. Many comforts, many pressures, Many struggles that we go through. And comforts and ease have a way of leading us away from the comforts of heaven itself. We can lose perspective, can't we? And life is a little bit easier when perhaps our bellies are a little bit fuller than before. In times of hunger, what do we do? Men pray for food. In times of thirst, men pray for rain. In times of difficulty, we pray for sweet and wonderful relief from such affliction. But in comfort, we can forget to pray. So what will God often do? We have a good, kind, wonderful God who loves his children and who wishes for them, for you, dear children of God, to be close to him. He will send us things into our lives to make us see what is truly the most valuable thing in our lives, and that is God himself. For our God sends things into our lives so that we pray. And seek sweet relief from him and not from the world. Nehemiah has a certain amount of ease himself. At the end of the chapter that we just read, it says in verse number 11, For I was the king's cupbearer. A very influential position in that day. In the Persian Empire. He had the ear of the king of Persia. But he had a far greater king. Whom he could call upon. He called upon his God in prayer. He had a powerful position. He had a degree of comfort. That many of them didn't have in that time. But yet... He had the ear of the great King of Kings and the Lord 
lords. And God sends anguish and suffering <coughs> into the life of Nehemiah, driving him to his knees to seek the ear of the great King of Kings, Lord of Lords. As we look at this text, dear friend, I want you to ask yourself, what suffering are you going through? I can guarantee that every single person here is suffering in some way because of a fallen world. We all face affliction. We all face anguish of one form of another. So this text has much to teach all of us here this evening. And as we look at times of difficulty, times of crisis, times of great suffering, let us look at it at what it is. A great and wonderful opportunity to have sweet and wonderful communion with God and to be ever closer to our King and to seek Him in prayer. Our first point that we're going to be looking at this evening is the source of affliction. Number one, the source of affliction. Where does this anguish come from? We see this prayer that Nehemiah prays. He prays in anguish, sorrow of his soul. The first few verses tells us it's in the days. It says here in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Shizlu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace. And what happened? Verse number 2, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came and, and he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem at this time. Some time has passed since many of them have been sent out from what was the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire. They'd been sent back under Cyrus the Great. Yes, ultimately sent back by God. But they have been sent back almost now some 80 or 90 years. And Nehemiah wishes to know what is happening. Has Jerusalem returned to its former glory under the times of Solomon and others? What does he hear in verse 3? And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Some time has passed. If we look back, a number of returns take place. From captivity. Why were they in captivity? Sin. They were captured by the Babylonians. And they suffered for 70 years. They were warned. But finally that 70 years comes to a close. And they're sent back to their home. Not everybody returns. We see Nehemiah still in Persia, still in 
exile. He wishes to find out what has happened. Have they rebuilt the temple? Have they rebuilt the walls? Are they? Is, is it prospering? Is the work going well? What news is there? And you would think after such time that there would be greater progress. Is this city that was seen as the beauty of the nations returned to the way she once was? If you look at Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 15. Lamentations and chapter 2 and verse number 15. In Lamentations, we see the devastation of Jeremiah as he sees the destruction of Jerusalem. And he says this in verse 15 of chapter 2. All that pass by clap their hands at thee. They hiss and wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem saying, and this is their mock, this is their taunt. Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty? The joy of the whole earth. Now let us think about this. They would have had great expectations going back. Of what would happen. And they were right to have great expectations. Because the prophets prophesied of greater days ahead. But what news was coming at that moment in history. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left in the captivity, verse 3 of our text, there in the province are in great affliction and reproach, not great glory, but shame. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. They had the freedom to build and follow God. Would they experience the blessings that were promised them all the way back to Leviticus chapter 26. All the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Those promises, those covenant promises, would they be restored to the land once again? And this is what they were expecting. Not at this time. This is devastating news for Nehemiah. Things aren't just going a little bad. They're going extremely bad. A city without walls is a city in ruins. In the ancient world, a city without walls was no city. It could be invaded by its enemies. It was open to attack. Something that was really not a city at all. And this was... A Great source of anguish for Nehemiah. This was tormenting in his soul to hear this. this is, and it was really a picture, you could say, of the spiritual condition of the people of God at that time. Verse number four says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. And mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. 
He had such a love and a longing for Jerusalem to see that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Anguish in his soul. Now, I'd like to think about our own lives. What are the sources of our own affliction? There's all sorts of afflictions you may be going through here today. There can be the affliction of hearing of health problems. There can be the affliction of hearing of a dear loved one. Whom you thought loved the Lord. But has now gone off into the world. What affliction are you facing today? It can be physical, it can be all sorts of things. But when we hear about the condition <coughs> of the church in our own day, in the Scotland, where we currently live, my family and I, in Northern Ireland, it grieves us, doesn't it? It grieves us to see so many out in the world. It grieves us to see so many people who do not want to come and worship God. It grieves us that many are on the wide road that leadeth unto destruction. Ruins. The walls are broken down. And just like Nehemiah, we too ought to weep when we hear of such things. Number two now. We're going to look at the sight of adoration. The sight of adoration. We may think, how can we pray in such moments? How can we pray in such moments of anguish, in our souls and sorrow, when it feels like the ground itself may want to swallow us up? I fear we may miss the impact that this has had in Nehemiah. Look at what it says. And I... That I sat down, verse 4, and wept. This is almost Nehemiah collapsing when he hears the news. Have you ever heard news where you couldn't even stand up? You can barely lift up your head. I dare say we've all gone through such times. How can we pray in such moments? The sight of the one who is glorious. The sight of the one who is the beauty of holiness. The sight of the one, the Lord God of heaven. And how do we see him? By faith. We see him by faith and not by sight. We see him revealed in the scriptures. Look at what Nehemiah prays. And said, this is Nehemiah praying, Now I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He's not just praying to anyone. He's praying to the great God of heaven and earth, the one we ought to tremble before. The one whom it says of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is devastated, but he sees God by faith and he adores him. And when we seek comfort, who do we go to? The one we love. 
That is why we seek the Lord in such times. When children are young and they have bad dreams, whom will they often call out to? Will they cry out for their mommy or for their daddy? Why is that? Why do they cry out for a parent? Because they, they trust and love that person. So in times of anguish, you cry out for the one whom you love. The one whom brings comfort. The one whom you cherish. Nehemiah expresses that love in verse 5. The great and terrible God. And friends, in our own prayer, we ought to express, shouldn't we, our love for God. Our prayers should not merely be, and I say this reverently, shopping lists. Yes, we must come to God for our great need. Everything depends on God. But should we not express our love and admiration for God? In prayer. Telling him how much we think of him. Telling him how much we love him. And trust him. You see, our prayer is an act of worship. I think sometimes in our, at home by ourselves, we can forget this. That we are really worshipping God. When we come into the throne of God, we are worshipping him. We are to have high and lifted up thoughts. To thee I lift my soul. We sung that earlier in Psalm 25. High and lifted up thoughts that our, our souls would be lifted up to heaven itself. Seated in heavenly places. Where Jesus Christ is. So even when we hear bad news. When we hear of devastating news that would leave us physically incapable of even moving. Our eyes are lifted up to heaven. By faith. To the one we adore. To the one we love. Isn't it important, dear friends, that we love God? That we see why we love him. That we think about him. That we think of all the wonderful goodness that he gives us. To think about his attributes, his goodness, his mercy. Because unless we think about the goodness of God. Unless we think about the love of God. Sin is no longer as heinous as it really is. The sight of adoration. Our third point is the supplication of attention. The supplication of attention. When we pray, we are not having a casual conversation with a friend. We are earnestly, desperately to seek the ear of God. We want God to hear us. And to answer our prayer, look at verse number 6. Let thine ear now be attentive 
and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. And how much does Nehemiah pray, which I pray before thee now, day and night. Oh, this is persistent prayer, isn't it? It's not just one prayer, it's many prayers. And if you look earlier, he wept, he mourned, fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. It says certain days, days, dear friends. He's driven this anguish in his soul. It's become an opportunity for prayer, but more than that, his love of God has driven him there also. He seeks for an answer to prayer. And the great danger that we can have in our prayers is we can become, can't we, very mechanical. And I'm very guilty of this myself. We can go through the motions. We can almost have a take it or leave it attitude in our prayers. We must not. And sometimes the Lord will send great pain into your life, into my life, into all our lives, so that our prayers would not be so. Our prayers would be in desperation, holy desperation, so that we wish for God with all that we are to hear our prayers, to answer us, that we would pray day and day. Night. It is a supplication of attention when we learn of the spiritual decline in the church in our day. Do we pray day and night? And sometimes we will face personal affliction, people we know leaving the faith, and it pierces into our own souls. It's very very difficult. But friends, the Lord's in control of all the circumstances of our lives. And we would not choose these things for ourselves, would we? But think of the Lord. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He cried out to his Father in heaven, sweating drops of blood from his forehead. So when we get that devastating call from the hospital, perhaps it's for somebody you know, or perhaps it is something else, something that's happened to your business. Cry out to the Lord. He's brought that into your walk. So that you would cry out, just like Nehemiah here. Let thine ear now be attentive. That we would be persistent in prayer. That we would wrestle with our God. Day and night. That we would bring our petitions to him, not to the world. See, so many times... If these things don't come into our lives, what do we do? We go to the world for answers. And until we've been brought to the end of ourselves, and until we've brought to the end of all the methods that the world has presented to us, the Lord brings us back to his own ways, 
which are higher and better and more glorious. We see Nehemiah sees the devastation of man's own ways. He sees the walls broken down. He hears of this. The, def- the old defenses, the truth is abandoned. But what is the solution to restoration in Jerusalem? What is the solution to the restoration of the church in our day? Is it better marketing perhaps? Is it all the things? Maybe it's a rock band. Maybe it's all these things that the world is telling us we need to do. Or perhaps it is what the Lord has revealed already. We need to be focused on God, don't we? When we are physically weak, we are enabled by God. When we look to Him, <coughs> Nehemiah also fasts. I think that's something we don't do very much in our modern day. Maybe it's because we have fridges in every home. Or that all these comforts that we have that much of human history did not have. But let me describe it this way. You hear of devastating news. Time of crisis comes. The appetite leaves you. There is an opportunity for fasting and prayer. Take those opportunities. Grab them. Because they are opportunities that the Lord has presented to you that that you would be closer to your God in heaven, to lean upon your God in heaven. In Psalm 119, in Psalm 119, it's going to read two verses here from Psalm 119, verse number 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy words. There is this Holy desperation seen in the psalmist as he writes this. And then verse number 28 in the same Psalm 119. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. You see so often we think we are strange. When we are not happy all the time. When we hear of devastating news. But you go through the Psalms. Dear friends, if you go through much of the Bible, you will see people under heaviness and affliction for all sorts of reasons. Godly people going through difficult times and the solution is seeking God. Even more important than our daily food, it is. And so, fasting is not just merely so we can Show off how spiritual we are. Fasting is there to aid our prayer. To enable us to see in a way how weak we are. That we would cry out for the ear of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Number four now, the sin of admission. The sin of admission. Verse number six. Halfway through verse number 6, down to verse number 7. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly 
against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. We speak of adoration and admiration and exaltation of the God of heaven as, as we should. But we also need to realize as we look at the greatness of God. The sin in our own hearts. Nehemiah doesn't come with the attitude of that's those sinners over there. He says this. Both I and my father's house have sinned. You see what he's saying? Much like Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. We have sinned. He has, we as a people, we have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. And look at the emphasis of the sin. It is against God. Sin is horrible because it is rebellion against God. And in seeking the Lord's help in deliverance and restoration of the city of God upon the earth, what does he do? He cries out while also admitting the sins that we are all guilty of. I and my father's house have sinned. If we briefly look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 12. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 12. And this is the model prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples teaching them how to pray. And he says in verse number 12 of Matthew chapter 6. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are to seek the forgiveness of our sins in prayer. It is not an opportunity for self-righteousness. Coming to the Lord, seeing His beauty of holiness, seeing His goodness. What does it do? It shines a light, not just on the sins of others, but also on our own hearts. And the revival and the reformation and the restoration must begin in my own heart, in our own hearts. In fact, dear friends, if you look at the Bible and throughout church history, revival begins with the people of God. And that revival spreads. Yes, other people often come to know the Lord outside of the people of God. It begins with this turning, turning to the Lord. In verse number 8 it says, Remember I beseech thee, the word which thou commandest thy servant Moses. If ye transgress, I will scatter you among the nations. Here is the warning of these covenant curses that would come if they turned away from the Lord. But verse number 9, But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments. If you turn unto me. There is sin to be confessed. Sin to be identified. Sin to be loathed, dear friends. And this is difficult. Because often we don't see our own sin. 
so often. How can we see our own sin? How can we identify these commandments Nehemiah speaks of? He talks about thy commandest thy servant Moses. <coughs> How can we know where we fall short of the glory of God? We must be in the word of God daily. Daily, friends. Because without this light, we will drift into darkness. Both I, Nehemiah says, and my father's house have sinned. And we must not be general about it. In our own private prayers, we need the help of God for the sins that we have done ourselves. We may, depending on the severity of the sin, need the help of other Christians as well. I think you need to have wisdom in these things. We do not believe in a confession box, but we must seek to confess our sins before God. Even in moments of anguish and of great pain, as we see here with Nehemiah. Our last point, number five now, the service of allegiance. The service of allegiance. So we've looked at the source of affliction. The site of adoration. We look to God in, in admiration and love. The supplication of attention. We, we seek the ear of God. We want an answer to prayer. <coughs> the sin of admission. We, we are to admit our sins. To acknowledge where we have fallen short. and For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But our final point, number five, the service of allegiance. The prayers of faith seeking God are those prayers which seek change in our own lives. That seek, even though we fail, to obey God in all his commandments. And I know, dear friends, you and I, we fall short of this standard. But we aim for that standard all the same. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. If you love me, the prayers of hypocrisy. Say, I'm fine as I am. I do not need to change. It's those people over there down the road. They need to change. I'm fine as I am. Friends, we must never be content where we are in our spiritual walk. Oh yes, be content with what the Lord has given you. That's the keeping of the 10th commandment. Contentment in the things that the Lord has given you. But we must never be content with our sin. Our sin, dear friends, should grieve us. What does it say? Nehemiah prays. Now these are thy servants and thy people. Notice the language. Thy servants. And if we think of a king. And if we think of a servant. What does a servant do with the king's commands? Does the servant say I will pick the commandments which I will obey? Or can the servant just do what he pleases? No, the servant lives for the will of his master. 
And Nehemiah even says that he is the servant of God. You see, when we come to ask the Lord in prayer, we're saying to God, O Lord, I am thy servant. I serve thee. Thou art my master. We don't come to the Lord just simply for the blessings. We come to the Lord for the greatest blessing. And that's the walk of Christ himself. Christ is the great and wonderful blessing. That we seek really in prayer. That we would have more of Christ. That we would follow him. Now these, verse 10, are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let thine ear be attentive to the prayers of thy servant. You see, this service of allegiance, this loyal allegiance, I am thine, O Lord. These are the, the prayers that are answered. No, it doesn't depend on us. It can't possibly. It depends on Christ. But at the same time, if we are sincere, we wish to be rid of our sin. We wish to be closer to God. We wish to serve Him in all areas. Because if we do not seek to obey Him in all areas of life, dear friends, that is a prayer of unbelief. Yes, we all sin. We all fail. But we seek the grace of God to change us. Perhaps you're here this evening and you're thinking, there's so many areas I have got to get right in my life. And your sins are even flooding into your mind right now. Things that you wish you were not doing. But dear friends, the fact that you wish to be rid of them is a sign that God has done a work in your heart. You may be thinking, I am such a wretched sinner, how can I be saved? The fact that you see yourself as a sinner and you're looking to Jesus Christ and to Him alone, that's how you're saved. It's not your performance. With all these things that have been said, your performance will never, ever save you. We trust in our performance in any way it will only condemn us but be encouraged dear friend if you are grieved when you sin that's a mark of grace there's not one single person in this building who has not sinned and falls short of the glory of God we are still sinners in thought in word and in deed But we seek the the sinless one to clothe us. Whose perfect allegiance. Whose perfect obedience. Clothes us all. By faith. And by faith alone. But we seek. Don't we? To be like him. We seek to follow him. Everyone. Suffers. In this world. The sad thing is, I I think, in our modern era, we think we're strange when we're not happy. We think we're strange when we weep at a prayer meeting. We're not. If we weep for for sin, whether it be in our own hearts or for the sin of the church, 
And God has drawn us to look to Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. Whatever affliction you are going through, I don't know what you're going through, but seek the Lord in prayer. Seek it as a wonderful opportunity. The greatest times in your prayer life will often be the hardest times in your life. They will. But you wouldn't change it if you're closer to God. You wouldn't change it because you have Christ. Look to him this evening in prayer. Let us pray.